This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. All right, this episode of With You in the Weeds is very, very crucial. And if we do this well, we might get nominated for a potty. You know, you've got the Emmys, the Grammys, you got Addies for advertising. I think there should be a potty award. For podcasts. For podcasts. So I'm hoping this one makes it in. This morning, I am joined by... Shay Roush. Austin Connor. There you go on cue. And I'm John Tennan. Last time we talked about the roots of bitterness. But today, we're going to discuss how to manage the weeds of bitterness. And honestly, we kind of looked at ourselves and said, well, it's forgiveness, um, which is a very big topic. And that kind of reminds me of an old SNL sketch called Tiny Elvis, where they take Nicolas Cage and through computer graphics, shrink him down to about five inches tall. And he's dressed up like Elvis. And they go out partying on the town, just doing stuff. And his one line in the sketch is everywhere he goes, because he's tiny, he goes, well, man, that's huge. That's huge, man. That, that lamp right there is huge. And they'll say to him, well, that's fun, Tiny Elvis. We're glad you're with us. Well, you call me Tiny? You call me Tiny? I'm huge. That's huge. <laughs> Old SNL is the best SNL, right? Yep. Yeah. And so this is a huge topic for uh, Tiny Elvis. And so, forgiveness is as complex as Nicholas Cage is. Seriously. Well. Absolutely. So He's all over the map. <laughs> He's all um, one way that we can take this huge topic and conceptualize it is an analogy that I use a lot with clients. When we talk about forgiveness, I say, imagine somebody's run over your foot and crushes like seven bones in your foot. Forgiveness is going to look like, okay, I'm not going to take you to court and I'm not going to sue you for everything you're worth. I'm going to let this go. That's what forgiveness looks like. However, you know, months down the road, years down the road, when you're walking on the trail and your foot's sore, you're going to remember, man, that guy ran over my foot. And you're going to feel all the anger, all the disappointment, all the emotions. So there's sort of a living component to forgiveness that we're going to get into. Yeah, I, I really like that analogy because at least for me and maybe for you, it captures the heart of the question. What do you do when somebody hurts you or more specifically sins against you? You know, when you get your foot broken, what do you do? And if you know the Bible, you know, the, you know the right answer on paper is that you have to forgive that person. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And the assumption there is that we're going to forgive others. So that's true and right. And yet, to be honest, uh, my next question is, but what does it actually look like? What does it look like for that person to forgive somebody that has intentionally crushed those bones in your foot? Uh, and I'm not sure about uh, our, our listeners, you guys, but but I can't think of another topic that is more important and yet so easily misunderstood, especially 
in Christian circles. Yeah, just to be clear, um, in the foot, run over the foot analogy, we're not saying you don't pursue someone's insurance or anything like that. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah, okay. So that's all a given. But kind of what you were saying, Austin, I, I've seen, and maybe you guys have too, lots of examples where Christians, um, especially in leadership positions and, and mostly well-intentioned uh, people or, or pastors, simply tell people to forgive others immediately without any regard to the circumstances or the context. Um, and, and forgiveness is so important, especially to manage the weeds of bitterness. And yet I worry that there's a ton of misunderstanding about what forgiveness is and isn't. You know, it's, it's so important to understand what forgiveness is because we're all going to have to practice forgiveness in our relationships with others. You know, we all sin against others and we're sinned against. So this is a daily reality until Jesus comes back and heals this world completely of sin. And I'm reminded of that old Anne Lamont quote that we mentioned last time, but but she said, you know, bitterness or vengeance is like drinking poison and hoping that our enemy dies. Mm. So it makes us miserable, but God has a remedy for it, and that's forgiveness. So let's dive in. Yeah, Shay, let me outline for our listeners kind of a roadmap to where we're going to go in the episode today. We're going to talk about, number one, what forgiveness is not. Number two, what forgiveness is. Number three, we're going to try to explain this huge topic very clearly with three realities of forgiveness. And then we're going to end with the costs and the blessings of forgiveness. So, Shay, kick us off. What is forgiveness not? Well, first of all, forgiveness isn't forgetting. You know, um, when when someone sins against you and and you choose to forgive them, it doesn't mean you'll always forget. Um, Most of the time, you can't forget even if you want to. You know, when God says in Jeremiah, I will forgive and remember their sins no more, it doesn't mean that the omniscient God has amnesia towards our sins. When God forgives our sins, he doesn't forget them. Rather, he just promises not to treat our sins as they deserve. He chooses to absorb the cost himself in the person and the work of, of Jesus. Man, that's, a, that's such a great point. And I can't tell you how many people I've worked with over the years and even clients who are burdened with this false assumption that they have to forget forget about a way that somebody sinned against them in the past. And I mean— you know, you guys have probably seen it. People are heavy and weighed down, and maybe maybe you're beating yourself up or shaming yourself by saying things like, I know I should forget what happened, but I can't. I mean, there's just a kind of civil war mm-hmm. internally. But I'm so happy to let people know, and, and hopefully you can hear this as the listener, that Jesus does not expect you and expect us to forget what happened to us. So the second point under this is that forgiveness is not just a one-time event. So go back to that analogy. Let's say the person who got their foot run over, their foot crushed, they just need to forgive that person one time and move on. But what happens if those feelings of anger and hurt and bitterness come up again? John, you mentioned you're running on the trail a couple years later and it all floods back. You know, I'll tell you what's going to happen. If you try to shove all that down, that anger and that frustration is just going to be buried And you're going to start shaming yourself and saying things like, gosh, I shouldn't feel this way. I should move on. I forgave that person. And that's that. 
Well, again, the problem is that you're splitting off all of these different parts of yourself, and now you've created, like I just said, this civil war that's going to keep you stuck and it's going to make the bitterness worse. Now, to be clear, Jesus for sure calls us to forgive, which means it needs to happen at some point in time. So forgiveness is not less than a one-time event, but it's so much more. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Yeah, the third point that I would tag on to that, similar to the foot analogy, is forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not always going to feel happy and immediately joyful and encouraging. I mean, it might, but... You know, that woman's like got her foot run over and years later, she's got arthritis in her foot and she, her brain is going to connect that memory and those emotions together. And she's going to remember, man, that, that dude was such a dumbhead, like to run over my foot. So that doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. And a lot of Christians confuse the ongoing hurt that comes from the wounding with the actual piece of forgiveness. You can forgive someone, but then every time you're triggered to remember what they've done, all that hurt is going to resurface again. Uh, it just means that you were hurt. Memories and hurt or emotions are like cars in a driveway, like they're in the same place. Yeah. Here's the last point under what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not necessarily immediate. You know, if somebody sins against you, it hurts. But if somebody comes to you immediately after they've hurt you, let's say they kind of just made a joke at your expense in a group setting, and then either immediately after or maybe even with people around, they say something like, oh, gosh, you know what? I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Will you forgive me? Well, maybe you're not ready to, be, to offer your forgiveness because that really hurt. Hmm. And so maybe there might be this assumption that, well, I have to forgive that person right now just because they ask that. No. It's okay to take some time and space to process and name and reflect and maybe even lament about the ways in which you were hurt. If you don't do that, you know, you give that person, yeah, okay, I forgive you, no big deal. You're going to offer forgiveness that's cheap instead of genuine. And I can't help but think of that verse in 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love is patient. I think an aspect of that patience can be applied to let people who are sinned against take some time rather than immediately granting forgiveness. I don't know. Am I crazy, guys? Would you add anything to that? I think that's really good. You know, you mentioned, you know, being at a party and somebody says, oh, hey, I, will you forgive me? I mean, you might be out there on the dance floor and they're like, hey, will you forgive me? And you're dancing like... Doo -doo 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 -doo. Sounds like Shay. Sounds like something Shay <laughs> yeah. would do. Well, and, you know, you might in the immediate moment say, um, yeah, sure, sure. But you might later come back and say, you know, you asked me to forgive you. Can we talk about what that felt like? That really hurt. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it has to do with the level of the offense, right? Mm. Yeah. It, so if it's just kind of a garden variety, someone said something off the cuff, it really didn't cut deep, but they, they're convicted by what they said and they ask for forgiveness. I, I think you can immediately grant it. Yeah, no big deal. I, we all say stupid things and, you know, it's like water off a duck's back kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But, but if the offense is deeper... And if it wounds, I think we, Austin, you're right. We need to give people um, space and time to process what's happened. Now you're on the dance floor and your husband says, hey, we're getting a divorce, a file today. You okay with that? <laughs> uh, the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> you get off that dance floor real that's quick. That's like a... Okay, that's like a $5,000 offense, <laughs> that's, right? That's exactly yeah. right. All right, guys. So now we know what forgiveness is not. 
But let's talk a little bit more about what forgiveness is. Shay, kick us off here. Yeah, I think we can say three things about what forgiveness is. First of all, forgiveness is canceling a debt. Um, Forgiveness is canceling a debt that must be paid. So if you think about it, when there is a debt, someone must pay. Either the one who owes must pay it back or the one who is owed must absorb the cost. Um, And forgiveness, likewise, requires something similar. When you do this, you're promising the other person, in in some sense, three things. Uh, One, I will not bring up this offense again or use it against you. Um, Secondly, I will not bring it up to others in gossip or malign you because of it. And then third, Mm -hmm. I will not bring it up to myself and dwell on it. I will not replay this in my head over and over just to, to gain some satisfaction or comfort. Um, now, what you're not saying there, though, is you're suppressing the memories. You're just saying, when those memories come up, don't start building a narrative and that includes revenge. Right, to make yourself feel better. Yeah. Right? We, we like to play the victim yeah. in those scenarios to soothe ourselves. Right, yeah. and that really fuels bitterness which is what we talked about last time. That's good. Okay, so uh, first, forgiveness is canceling a debt. Second, forgiveness is an attitude. Now, this is distinguished from the transaction or the behavior of actually forgiving someone. That might be actually telling someone in person or over the phone, I forgive you. But if that person never asks for it or isn't repentant, well, then what do you do? Well, what you do is you have an attitude of forgiveness, which means there's a willingness to forgive the other person if they ever come asking for it. And so back to the person who, you know, gets their foot crushed. If that person just goes away with no remorse, in one sense, they can't forgive that person because they're not around and they're not asking for that forgiveness. But rather than cling to that bitterness and resentment that can start growing, the person needs to have an attitude of forgiveness and a willingness to say, if that person ever comes back, I will be willing to forgive. Yeah, that distinction between attitude and transaction is really helpful for me. And it makes sense of our third and final point as we're talking about what forgiveness actually is. And that point is forgiveness is a process. There are so many ingredients that go into forgiveness. It's extremely complicated. The question that I ask clients is not, hey, have you forgiven this person? I ask the question, Are you on a trajectory of learning how to forgive that person? And are you willing to work toward this? And that might take a month. It might take a year. It might take five years. And Shay, as you mentioned, it's going to be dependent upon the hurt. Is it a $5 hurt or a $500 hurt? So the question I think that's really key to invite somebody into the process is, am I in the game and working with my heart? and willing to wrestle with this. Because when Jesus in Matthew 18 talks about forgiveness, he uses a line that I really wish was not there. He says, Mm. forgive from the heart. And that puts me on the hook. So am I willing to do the kind of wrestling with my heart that it's going to take to forgive this person? Yeah. So just to sum sum up here, we're saying it's an attitude. So we're to forgive as we've been forgiven. Um, We're always to have an attitude and be open 
and always willing to forgive someone. It's right? kind of like leaving the door cracked open for someone to come in. And and that's a process. Mm-hmm. But but true biblical repentance in some sense is never going to happen until or, or forgiveness is never going to happen until we see repentance happen on the part of the offending party, correct? Is that well, what we're saying? Well, that is the condition that Jesus says. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Seventy times seven. And the condition is repentance. If you have an unrepentant person, what's needed is limit, boundary, rebuke. Right. And so true reconciliation, full reconciliation, will never happen until that takes place. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. And then I think another thing that point I want to bring out here um, is along what we've been talking about, this idea of that someone in forgiveness, there always has to be, someone has to pay the cost. And when we choose to forgive, what we're saying is, is that we will pay the cost ourselves. Um, you know, I, I heard that there was a, a, a Dan Hamilton wrote a book on forgiveness And he used this illustration, but he said this. He said, once upon a time, I was engaged to a young woman who changed her mind. I forgave her, but only in small sums over a year. They were made whenever I spoke to her and refrained from rehashing the past. Whenever I renounced jealousy and self-pity, whenever I saw her with another man, whenever I praised her to others— when I wanted to slice away at her reputation, those were the payments, but she never saw them. And guys, I think that is so good as an illustration of what um, forgiveness and, and, and paying that debt yourself um, looks like in our lives. Somebody has to pay the debt. I love that quote, and it makes me think if I could add just a fourth quick point under what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is an ongoing process of release. That's what that guy did for that young woman who changed her mind. He released his, you know, hurts and feelings, released her of that over time. John, you mentioned earlier how, you know, we don't build a narrative around the hurt or the sin that will naturally come back up. And that's such a great point. That is going to come up. But our call is not to just shut it down or suppress it, but to let it go and release it. Maybe a good way to distinguish this is the temptation to take revenge or to make a jab at somebody is always going to be there, but you do not have to act on it. And temptation is not a sin. And we always have a choice to hold on or to release. Yeah. Now that we've got a little bit better understanding of what forgiveness is and is not, we thought it'd be good to bring up three realities of forgiveness that we think are crucial for you to remember. And we're going to do that when we come back. Thank you so much for listening to With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text this episode to a friend and find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. So these three realities of forgiveness, think of these as like the true north, if and when you get lost or confused about what it means to forgive someone. John, what's the first one? All right, true north number one on the compass. Forgiveness and trust are two different 
things. Very good illustration that I've used so many times with clients. Somebody goes into a bank, they borrow money to start a business, they start the business, they declare bankruptcy, and the judge determines that they are free of that debt legally. So it's legally wiped out. But if that guy goes into the bank the next day and says, hey, I want to borrow some more money, the bank is going to say, well, we're not going to make you pay back your first loan, but we're not going to trust you with new money. Not yet. Um, So they're not going to trust, but they're going to forgive. There's a good analogy there. Had a staff member years ago um, that really did something that was hurtful to me. And this was a number of years ago. A few years ago, he found me on the internet and called me and he said, hey, look, um, I know that there were some things that happened. If I ever see you again in public, I don't want it to be awkward. Um, Just can we like work this through? Can we make this okay? And it didn't feel like a genuine apology to me, Hmm. but it did feel like all he could give me in the moment. And I decided... I'm just going to say, yes, it's okay. We don't have to be awkward in public. And I forgive you. Uh, However, I would never hire that guy again. I would never trust him again. Um, So forgiveness and trust are two different things. You can forgive somebody, but that relationship may never look the same going forward. And sometimes you shouldn't trust someone. Yeah, I really like that because it seems like it could also just free some people up to say, I forgive you, but our relationship, whatever that may be, is not going to look the same going forward. Absolutely. And Christians really get hung up on that. I think that's really helpful. Second point here, forgiveness and justice are not opposites. It's really quick. When I say justice, I'm thinking about seeking restitution from outside third parties in order to make a situation right. Now, we can think of thousands of scenarios where that would be the case. We're not going to open that can right now, but I just want you guys to hear the listeners. Sometimes that is necessary and okay and not opposed to forgiveness. The third and final reality is is that forgiveness and boundaries are not opposites. You know, guys, we're we're never called to make it easy for people to sin against us. Uh, You have to put a stop to it. Um, You have to, at times, put up boundaries. You have to put up limits. Uh, I I think one misconception is, is we think that if I forgive those who sin against me, I'm going to wind up being their doormat. But forgiveness does not mean you make it easy for others to abuse you or mistreat you. Instead, we have every right to set up a boundary. Shay, tell me, uh, tell me if you think this sounds right. I, uh, maybe listeners are coming up with specific examples. I just came up with one, and you tell me if this is right. I'm remembering a time in college when there was somebody in one of my classes uh, who just kept making fun of me and was like kind of, you know, sarcastic and making jokes and all this. And so I asked that person privately to stop it. This person was a Christian, by the way. I asked them to stop it, but that joking, it just kept going, not only in the class, but even outside uh, of class in our social circles. And so in the end, uh, right or wrong, what I did is that I set a boundary for myself and I just stopped hanging out with them outside of that time. And so it sounds like, Shay, what you're saying is that it's totally right and wise and on the table for me to have set that boundary, to stop hanging out with that person outside of class who's making fun of me. Now, I need to be willing to forgive that person, have an attitude of forgiveness if and when they ask for it in the future, 
But in the meantime, I have every right and can set that boundary. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. And so obviously in cases of where there's abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, the set boundaries. Uh, you, you may have to put a distance between yourself and that person to protect yourself. That's good and right um, for a Christian to do. Um, uh, Jesus himself, right, at times had to distance himself, mm. put physical bound. He knew what was in people's hearts. He separated himself from people. He, he, he physically separated himself from people because he knew that they were seeking to harm him. Yeah, he was great at boundaries. Yeah. Final piece of our episode, we want to explore the costs and the blessings or benefits, uh, if you like benefits better. The costs and the benefits of forgiveness. We want to do this because it's going to help you know the road that's ahead of you. We've all seen well-meaning people come out with a simple, forgive that person, and then walk away without giving any kind of pointers or heads up about what life's going to be like if and when we do. Yeah. So I'll, I'll kick this off here. The first piece of this is forgiveness is going to cost you something. There's going to be reminders of your past hurt and past ways you've been sinned against probably for the rest of your life. It's going to cost you not to take revenge on that other person, not to hold on to it. And you're likely going to need to bear costs, a lot of which might be invisible. What I mean is that not other people really know and understand what it's costing you. You're probably and might feel feelings of ill will and disgust and contempt for that person long after the original offense. That's going to cost you to hold on to that. You know, Austin, I've got a story that encapsulates a lot of this. I was adopted, and my stepfather was an abusive stepfather, physically abusive. And I won't go into the details of it, but it was pretty bad. And it's taken me 50 years mm. to work through this, if you go all the way back to when the abuse started. But it's taken me probably 11 or 12 years to get to the point of what I'm going to explain to you once I started working on this. And what it comes down to is I finally realized after years of working through this that it wasn't just that my father had abused me, but I took that hurt. And if anyone cheated me, betrayed me, disappointed me, I took that same kind of anger and hurt out on them and basically just wrote them off and felt justified in doing so. Mm, you treated others the way you were treated. Exactly. To this day, I remember exactly where I was walking on a hiking trail in San Diego, California. And I had just read an article where a guy was talking about father wounds. And he was talking about how for years and years and years, he looked for his father in every male authority figure he could find and finally realized that when those male authority figures disappointed him, he would take it out on them in various ways. So I was walking on this trail after I read this article and thinking it through. And again, this is like 12 years of working through the details, 51 total since when the abuse started. I came to the point of realizing, oh my goodness. Holy cow, I am doing the exact same thing my dad did to me. And then I started remembering stories that my dad told me about his dad and how abusive his dad was physically. And I thought, 
oh my goodness, my dad was taking out on me what his dad did to him. And I just stopped and I said, God, I want to stop acting out of that pain and I want to forgive my dad. That doesn't make the pain go away. But all of a sudden I realized, even while we were enemies, Jesus died for mm-hmm. us. And I was able to see that in a more clear light. And it was very, very freeing. Mm. Now, I ended up not bringing this up to my dad because he didn't have the capacity to deal with it. And the wound remained invisible. Yeah, what was that like? What did it cost you? He never recognized it. I could never talk to him about it. And I had to still be with him. And it took a lot of work, but it was processing that God sees it and other people actually in my life who were really safe saw it and they were able to see, hey, we see what you're going through. And sometimes that can counterbalance the loss of what you incur when you forgive somebody. And even at his funeral, everyone was talking about him in glowing terms. And this was a couple of years ago. And I sat there and everyone talked about how wonderful he was. He had been married before and he had kids from another life and all of them talked about him in glowing terms. And I sat there silent and I was okay with it, but I was still a little bit stunned and felt I am not recognized. No one sees this, but it took years to work that through. And I had every opportunity to stand up at that funeral and say, well, let me tell you another angle on this story. And I didn't. And Shay, to your point, that's what it looks like to continually go through the process of forgiving and not taking revenge. Yeah. And and bearing the cost yourself. Someone had to pay the cost of that. You bore it in those moments where you didn't stand up and run your father down. And and by forgiving um, and by you bearing the cost, you your heart was able to begin to heal. You recognize that about in your own life and stop that, that, that chain or that cycle of passing that hurt down onto other people. Now, to illustrate boundaries, there was a time after that decision that I made to forgive when he became very angry with me uh, when he visited on one occasion. And he got the same look in his eye that he used to get when he would abuse me. And I saw it, I noticed it, and I looked at him and I said, when I was 14, you could do this. You could take your anger out on me, but I am 41 now and you can no longer do this. Mm. Wow. And he did not know what to do with that. Yeah. The boundary. You put a boundary in his... And it felt very freeing and, and it wasn't laced with, I want to hurt you. It was... I was, I felt so strong just simply putting the boundary in place. You can no longer do this to me. Unbelievable. He, just, threat, he, yeah. he threatened to go home. He goes, if, if you're, it was all over a hearing aid. Like he wouldn't put his hearing aid in. <laughs> and I kept saying, dad, put your hearing aid in. Yeah. And he finally got so angry with me and he got that look in his eye and it triggered all of those memories. And I felt it. And I just said, look, you can get angry like a child if you want to. And you could do that when I was little, but you can't do that now. So if you want to pack your bags and go home, go ahead, go home. And you know what he did? Packed his bags and went and sat in the car for 30 minutes in the driveway, stewing. And he finally got out and came back and he says, I guess I'll stay. 
There are times when you have to speak truth to people, that you weren't being a doormat anymore. Right. You weren't just absorbing his blows, but you were speaking truth to him. And, and that's what he needed to hear to help him to mature and to understand. Yeah. And it also illustrates, I mean, it seems like how much it cost you to bear with that over that long process. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you told that story and I want to kind of bring it down for our listeners. You know, if that rings some bells or if you had to forgive someone of past hurts, we don't know where and how that has cost you. And I'm not sure where and how you might need to forgive somebody in the future, but what I do know is that it's going to cost you something. And so don't be surprised if and when it hurts to do so. Let's land the plane on today and just talk a little bit briefly about some of the benefits of forgiveness. Uh, first benefit, it can bring freedom for you. You know, not forgiving someone we've, means we've closed our hand around that past offense, but forgiving someone releases them. And if you've forgiven somebody, you know the joys and the, I don't know, the, the weightlessness that can happen over time when you free not just them, but yourself. And yeah, then, you know, there's a comedian, an old comedian, Lily Tomlin, who says forgiveness is giving up hope for a better past. Mm, yeah, it's because then, then you can move on. Yeah. The, the other benefit that comes to mind is that forgiveness displays God's kingdom. You know, when we forgive others, it's, it's like this experiential spotlight of what Jesus' kingdom looks and feels like. It, it's not easy and it doesn't happen overnight, but if and when we forgive someone, it shows ourselves, the others, and anybody watching what God's kingdom is like in the here and now. Yeah, the peace in the Lord's prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. I think that's a big invitation to think about something on a larger scale. What kind of a world do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a world and create a world around us where there is mercy and forgiveness or a world where there's judgment, vengeance, condemnation. Yeah. Um, I, I will tell clients sometimes struggling with forgiveness, can you tell me one sin you do not want God to forgive you for? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think that uh, just as we want God to forgive us, I think the reason at the end of the day here why we don't... Um, offer forgiveness to other people, why we withhold it is because we forget how much we've been forgiven by Christ. Um, we're we're self-righteous, and therefore that causes us not to want to forgive other people. But, but the more we realize how much we've been forgiven by Jesus, um, the more that hits our hearts, the more will extend forgiveness to other people. You know, John Stott used to say that when he struggles with pride and lack of forgiving other people, he says, just stand a little closer to the cross. Look up and see what Jesus is doing for you there on the cross. It's your sin that he's paying for. And the more we get that, the more we understand that how much we've been forgiven, that reality will cause us to change and be open, more open to extending forgiveness to others when they wrong us. Now, when you say um, we don't forgive because we're self-righteous, can we nuance that a little bit? Sure. Because if we're unwilling to forgive somebody and we refuse, there's a piece of self-righteousness there. Yeah. But sometimes we have a hard time forgiving and we can't figure out how to do it 
And that's not necessarily self-righteousness. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, and that's hopefully we brought that out in our podcast today and helped you to to understand that and to to work through uh, what it means to forgive people. But at the end of the day, I don't I often don't forgive other people. I'm slow to forgive because I'm self-righteous. I'm looking down upon them and I forget the cross and how much I've been forgiven in Jesus. Well, that's definitely knee jerk in all of us, for yeah. sure. Um, guys. It's been great to be with you. This episode is huge. It's huge. (laughs) And glad Tiny Elvis could be here with us. And uh, we'll put some pictures up on social media of Tiny Elvis, because I took him to Chicago with me a number of years ago. Got a picture of him next to a piece of tiramisu cake. And uh, it's a great pic. Jules, our resident social media guru, will put it out there. So we'll see you next time. Great. Thanks, John. See you guys. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at WithYouInTheWeeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.